episode 13 of Ribbon of Memes. But we've no time for fancy intros today, Roger. We're in trouble. The lives of everyone here depend on just one thing. Finding someone who can fly a podcast and land it, and who didn't have fish for dinner. We are talking today, of course, about the 1980 classic masterpiece of comedy that is Airplane. Oh, I think we're talking about the 1957 classic of Suspense Zero Hour. Oh yeah, I don't know why everyone remembers Airplane when Zero Hour did it all so much better. Well, it did it all first. Obviously, you watched the original. So, yeah, Uh, possibly we should... Hang on. We should introduce ourselves, shouldn't we? I mean, there might be some poor bastard who's actually listening to this as our first episode. Hi, I'm Roger. Well, there may be. And I'm Nick, and I believe we have someone who hasn't had fish for dinner along for the ride today. And is that, is, is that my cue? Because you, you're not doing any hand that gestures. That was a seamless, so. seamless introduction there. Right, Sorry, I'm still... Strictly professional here. I'm John, and I'm still reeling from the fact that this isn't episode one, because I sort of figured that if you were starting a new podcast, you might have asked me first, but... Uh, uh, 13, anyway, that's, eh? This is the first one we've done that is comedy. And you, sir, are a yeah, prof- how many have ones been have a professional done comedian. Me? No, I haven't. I thought you had. Come on, we've done Apocalypse No, You got paid for it, didn't you? No, no I've, never got, I've never been a comedian. Cartoonist, oh, okay. yes. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, am I here under false pretenses? Uh, yes, um, anyway, hello. You are um, a, a, should we say an unprofessional funny man in that case? All right, let's to. move on. Um, this is the, the comedy, well, the first comedy we've done since Raging Bull, which was a barrel of laughs. Mm-hmm. Um, we, as a as a palate cleanser, to some extent, we've stuck with 1980. Well, and yes, I, as, as anybody who's duffed off to listen to the last episode may remember, at the end of uh, Raging Bull, we were talking about what we might also consider and what was early 80s, and this thing came up. We thought, why the hell didn't we do this one? And the answer is, because <laughs> we, we've seen it a lot, and it's not... I mean, it may well be a masterpiece, but it's not, it's not a masterpiece we hadn't seen before. That's that true. Is, that is but... tricky, that one, isn't it? You could have gone for Airport 80, the Concorde. That's still on my is list. Is that the Concorde still one? On my list. Well, we start this with Zero Hour, which is the 1958 version with Dana Andrews. Well, not, which not, I can't... not even the first version of this script. Because it started so it... as Flight into Danger, a, oh, yes. a television production for the Alcoa Hour in Canada. I hope that had an exclamation point too. I don't believe so. Uh, oh. ri- written by Arthur Haley, whom we'll come back to later. Um, Prolific chat, wasn't he? He's an extremely successful writer, the, the, which this, doesn't uh, shine through, does it? Well, <laughs> at, at this point he wasn't. No. <laughs> but uh, the fact that he had a second chance amazes me. Yeah, uh, well, he wrote the novelisation of the screenplay. With, well, with I guess, help. but uh, that, that original that original mounting has has apparently been lost. I don't know anybody who's got a copy, at least, which is a bit of a shame because it also s- stars a uh, young James Doohan as. Uh, <laughs> really, the Ted Stryker, uh, right. Please tell me he was the engineer on the no, plane. No, no. As yeah, Ted he, Stryker. He, he was the troubled pilot. Wow. Ooh. I um. I mean, I usually do a quick summary of the plot. I can cover both films in one summary, <laughs> which is which is very helpful. Ted Stryker, troubled ex-airline, air, World War II airline pilot. Fighter airline, pilot. Fighter pilot, yeah, he wouldn't be an airline pilot. Of, of a, a wide variety of aircraft, considering the stock footage that gets used. 
<laughs> even more stock footage in airplane um, is called upon to land a plane in tragic conditions after food poisoning strikes the entire crew uh, of the airliner that he's flying on in order to try and get back with his wife in zero hour and girlfriend in airplane. Mm-hmm. And let's not forget, in zero hour, his son is on board. Well, Joey does make it into airplane, doesn't he? But he's not. <laughs> uh, he's not Ted's son. Yeah, well, well the, the, this, this is a bit less possibilities on the characters in, in a way. I mean, we we have the 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 wife, and we have the stewardess, but they are different characters here. Yes, uh, and the stewardess is uh, there is some sort of ongoing relationship she's got with the comedian. That oh, he's a comedian. Puppet. How that sock puppet? He has, <laughs> he has. A, what was it? Uh, this Paddy the puppet. Uh, yeah, Paddy the comedic. The genius <laughs> hand puppet. Even explaining what it children. is sounds racist. <laughs> um, how that didn't make it into airplane, I don't know. Other than I, I think as we you talked about off air, Roger, you thought that was the comedy bit and actually all the best bits from Zero Hour are the deadly serious bits. Um, well, well, we'll come to that when we talk about why Airplane works as a comedy, at least as far as I'm concerned. I'm I'm yes. speaking as someone who, as everybody knows, has no sense of humour. So, you know, bear this in mind. Really? Well, fit right in with Zero Hour then, which it also has. <laughs> well, no to be fair, it's not trying to be a comedy. There, there, no, it there's isn't. There's an awful lot of, of humour that I just don't get on with. It doesn't work for me. You know, the sort of thing that is, look at the silly man. Ha ha yeah. ha! I can too easily see myself yeah, as the silly man. Next week. So, oh, right. that's just never really worked for me. But yeah, so so we have, uh, as you say, Dana Andrews. Uh, I, I late can't in say career. Dana Andrews without thinking about the Rocky Horror Show. <laughs> <I'm afraid. laughs> Dana Andrews said runes gave him the prunes. Yeah, but that's not a reference to this film. That's a reference no, it to quite isn't, a good but film. But it's the only other context in which I know the words Dana Andrews. Um, so yeah, quite quite late in his career. I, he may have done one mm. or two other things after this, but not a whole lot. Um, I gather he was not not a well man. Not a not a sort of uh, a high point in his career. Uh, well, high arc, I suppose. Well, how I, did... I think that comes through. How did Zero Hour do? Was it at the time a forgettable rubbish B movie, or was it a big? It, it was even then. I mean, that's how it. it. It was definitely not not getting the big headlines. I mean, it, it made a respectable amount of money, but no, nobody said this is a great star making success or anything like that. Um, Linda Darnell, I believe, didn't have any other film role. Well, I, I didn't. I, I she had one more film role, but the film was only released after she died, and that was a few years later, but yeah, she was oh, over 30, so obviously she's completely that's useless. That's harsh. Well, yes. yes I think Zero that. Hour is, is probably best looked at as a film that is probably more widely known now than when it was actually shown in cinemas, <laughs> yes, probably, purely yeah. because of, of Airplane. At the time, um, I think Probably the reason Dana Andrews is in it. It was one of a lot of similar kind of forgettable suspense tension kind of films, Mm -hmm. which were perfectly serviceable and have a few good moments. I I mean, I'm not writing it off as a total. It has a few good points. Well, I'm going to admit, I mean, we watched this off the back of Raging Bull. Um, (laughs) So you thought it was a comedy, then? I flipping loved this film. I just, I mean, serviceable pretty much covers it because it yeah. it is like someone has read you know how to plot a hollywood film and then just done it, it takes it. the mm-hmm. only moment that isn't in it 
which interestingly they added back in for Airplane, is when the pilot says, no, I'm not going to do it, and then the mentor has to go and talk in background, um, which they added specifically a scene in for Airplane because he hadn't completed his hero's journey and ticked all the, set, <laughs> ticked all the steps in the book. Um, but otherwise, it's... Do you know what? There's a reason that is a form a formula that is used for plots because it is narratively satisfying and it works. I, it certainly did the job for me. It delivered a, a suitable nugget of entertainment into my brain, and I enjoyed it. The thing um, that uh, really struck me was it reminded me a lot of, uh, you know, the first decade or two of Doctor Who, where. Nobody involved is a big science fiction fan. Nobody really cares about the lore or the background or anything like that. But they yeah. are—they are television making professionals, and they're going to do a competent job because that's what they mm-hmm. do. Yeah, that's everybody is going to go home and say, "I did my bit." None of them is going to yes. say, "I am a genius." <laughs> yeah, but... You can look at a lot of the people who are in Zero Hour, assuming you can find out who they are, because uh, oh, we haven't not... mentioned Sterling Hayden. Well, sort of going to get to him. Um, and they were generally really quite um, steadily employed, competent, jobbing actors. You know, they were they were they were the kind of people who you could probably hire, rely on to be able you not know, to be divas to get the job done and go. And if they weren't that kind of person, they wouldn't keep working in Hollywood. Yeah, because well, again, this was at the height of the well, not quite the height, but it was during the studio system when everyone was kind of tied into a studio and they had to do X number of films for however long they had. So it, they were kind of, it was kind of a day job for them for a lot of it. They weren't really divas, as you say, because they couldn't be. Well, the stars could, could be. They could kind of afford it and people sort of went on kind of strike against the studios and all sorts and usually then ended up getting loaned out to other studios mm-hmm. but that's not Bogart, which yeah. then we got the Maltese Falcon game. yeah didn't invite me on to talk about Bogart did you oh no 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 but anyway. or the man who would be king <sighs> come on keep it light keep it light it's a comedy episode yeah yeah that's right um, but yes you've got a you know a sort of a, a solid cast None more solid than Dana Andrews' face. <laughs> and um, God, I everybody's doing a good job. Do, do bear in mind, this is three years after The High and the Mighty with John Wayne as the heroic pilot. So, you know, compared with him, Dana Andrews is, is flexible and emotional. But that's the point. He's, he's considered, so this is perhaps jumping ahead, but he's, he's a, doing a far less emotional and engaged part <laughs> considering that his wife and son are on board yeah. than Robert Hayes does as Ted Stryker yeah. in a comedy. I agree. He's he's really one note. Nothing seems to really sort of get to him. But honestly, it's not that big a deal because there's plenty of solid supporting people around him. Mm. And you've mentioned um, Sterling Hayden. Oh. Uh, better known to... When you look at the airplane you have the same thing there are various people in it who you might know better today as somebody else as well as a few bits of stunt casting for people who were better known for something before i don't avoid women mandrake but i do deny them my essence exactly um and well, funnily that, enough that's, that's something thing, he I mean, says in uh... <laughs> he, he, he's playing a military guy here he's playing a very similar looking very similar acting military guy in dr strangelove yeah but he also played roger wade in the long goodbye and that is a oh. very different role. Oh my god, he did! <laughs> Holy shit, bags! I'm sorry. I... Don't, don't worry, we, I, I tag everything we do as a little bit sweary. Uh, sorry, I was. I, I didn't want to ask about the sort of profanity levels, but um, since I can see that you've got it set at you know, mild, anything effing goes. Then. Level. My god, I just, as you said, I just saw his face. That's the same guy. Holy smokes. Well, that actually, because 
this ties back to another of our episodes that we also didn't invite John on, <laughs> which was Jaws. And Sterling Hayden was absolutely the, everyone's first choice for Quint. Mm. He was like Sterling Hayden in real life was a was was Quint <laughs> basically, <laughs> um, but there was I think there was some tax reason or possibly uh. some health reason why he had to pull out. Um, I mean, much to the uh, Jaws is an amazing film and Roberts. Um, yes. and isn't it Robert strange Hardy, that you? I was about to say, oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> Uh, oh, Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw. Thank you. I wasn't sure, um, <laughs> and he was. You loop around, and the first gag in uh, Airplane is a Jaws spoof. Yes, that's a good point. There we are. The wonderful circle of the ribbon of memes. You haven't even got the title up yet, and they're already parodying a film. Was mm. it because I noticed that? Um, Zero Hour starts with this kind of earnest uh, and very parodable parodyable um, opening narration, which they mm. didn't do for Airplane, and I, I was slightly surprised to see that, because I would have thought that would have been, maybe, I, I don't know I mean, it's hard to talk about what Airplane isn't, because it's exactly what we want it to be, but I was <laughs> I was surprised by a few things that they didn't parody uh, Paddy the Sock Puppet was one of them and the You, you were narration. surprised they didn't parody Paddy the Sock Puppet? <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know what more you could do to parody, but I mean, a lot of well, There was no drunken Scotsman well, that's true as well. You see, I, again, I mean, obviously, in oh, Emily, they avoided Scottish? all uncomfortable racial stereotypes. So I, I can see why. <laughs> I can see why that was a, a why it was a thing. It was, in, yeah, the attempts at comedy from Zero Hour, and I will underline the word attempts, um, were not used at all in Airplane. No, that's because Just they were toe curlingly bad. <laughs> but you would have thought that. Would... Well, I yes, think but, but right. also think... because they were they were comedy bits, and yeah. Yeah. to me, this this is one of the reasons I, I I really like Airplane because it's 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 a loving parody. It's yeah. not saying yeah. there were these old films and boy were they crap. Uh-huh. It's saying they were these old films and yeah, they were actually dramatic and. Sometimes they got a bit up themselves and stuffed shirt, and we're going to make fun of that. Yeah. But you know, there's there's still actual drama here as well. In the commentaries and so on, did they actually say why they got they bought the rights to uh, Zero Hour? Well, basically, what, what Zucker Abrams and Zucker used to do was leave their VCR, as it was in those days, taping overnight because they were looking for adverts that they could take the piss out of in Kentucky Fried. So they would just trawl I mean it seems very quaint nowadays um, but that's what they used to do and one of the things they accidentally taped was Zero Hour and they just flipped they just thought this film's already got the piss taken out <laughs> um, well, and so yeah, yeah there, 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 was conceived there are a couple but... of different versions of that story I mean that, that is the main one and then, then they said you know they, they were certainly it seems it was originally going to be a full on Spoof of a 1950s film in black and white with a prop plane. Yeah, know, they really as, wanted it, as if it a... was something you'd actually found in the middle of the night while channel surfing. Right. In fact, they were absolutely attached to the idea that it was a prop plane. They were horrified that it was going to be a jet plane. Um, However, there there is a, another story which I've seen floating around, and I cannot say with what degree of uh, authority. Uh, but it's been strongly suggested that having decided they wanted to do this sort of film parody, they first tried to get the rights to the high and the mighty. But John well, Wayne it... wouldn't play because John Wayne, well, mm. famous for his sense of humour, obviously. Uh, and, and then they, they went on and said, well, hey, this, this, this zero hour thing is cheap. And also the studio that's decided to put some money behind us owns the rights to this film already. So. <laughs> 
I suspect there's some truth to both of those in the sense that probably Zero Hour triggered it and then they went looking went looking for a film like Zero Hour. Possibly, Couldn't yeah. get one and thought, actually, why don't we just go for Zero Hour? Yeah. Um, that's pro- they, fact, they, the original... they pitched it to the studios as National Lampoon's Animal House on a Plane. <laughs> Which That's I think is fair to say is not, is not a, a not, description of the film, but the studios liked it. So yeah, it was not at all. What it, well, originally the idea. Sorry, we're getting a bit onto airplane now. Well, let, the original let, let's idea, move on. I mean, because yeah. they want. Well, they want. Well, oh, they wanted to do advert spoofs, but mm-hmm. they thought it's just going to be. They need something to hang it on. So let's have a film that plays every few minutes, and then you can do the ad spoofs. And in the end, they realised. It was bare, or actually, it was on the studio. I, I think the studio forced them to. Was yeah. like just do the. We like this idea of a film spoof. Yeah, so, certainly. If you yeah. look at Kentucky Fried Movie, it's all sort of two and three minute bits. They they don't really have any larger structure to them. Um, yeah, there's a very good reason for that. But to half to half go back, it's, it's, I think it's worth in, worth remembering that um, Zucker Abram Zucker Zaz, the Zucker brothers and so on, um, who made Airplane. They were not big players in Hollywood or even people with a strong <clears throat> reputation. They did have the, the very, um, uh, very good thing going for them that the Kentucky Fried movie, which was financed independently because nobody okay. would touch it, mm-hmm. uh, they, they ended up making like a 10 minute section of it as a sort of a, a kind of a showreel, which they could do because the Kentucky Fried movie was born out of the Kentucky Fried Theatre troupe, sure. which was a lot of improvisational sketch comedy. So there's a lot of that that they basically put together as a film. And it has some interesting ties to an airplane, as you might expect. So they'd got this 10 minute thing, and even then they couldn't actually get it sold. They'd put, sunk their own money into it, and they managed to get a guy who had a cinema to show it as a short before his main films. And he really mm. liked it. So to raise the money, he got other people he knew in the business to do the same thing. So because it was this sort of short, sharp, ad spoofs and this kind of stuff, they could run a 10 minute, cl- basically clip of the movie almost, and, and it was self-contained. Yeah. yeah. So that worked really well, and Kentucky Fried Movie made uh, a more than respectable amount of money, which of course the studios hadn't really paid for in the first place, so that was what they had going for them. But they wouldn't have had an awful lot of leverage. The only other thing they had going from, I suppose, was John Landis. Because um, they were friends with him, they'd worked with him, they got him, I think, to direct Kentucky Fried Movie, didn't they? He'd done Animal House, yes, of course, yeah, which had been a huge success, and they'd go on to do other stuff together. So that was something they could possibly use, and this is how probably how they ended up with Airplane. But they couldn't really say, we want it this way, we're going to stand our ground. Because the studio, they had a, a lot of influence on what was going to happen. Yeah. They weren't going to just say to three guys, yeah, go ahead, anything you like. I mean, yeah, and, did, and I yeah, think this, the studio of... was, was saying, yeah, if, if you make this a 1950s film about a prop plane, nobody's going to pay to see it. Exactly. Yeah. So they, I mean, they caved in. They did have some ideas that were like, their, it was their idea, because the studio, they had a fan in Howard Cox, the producer, Cox, mm-hmm. um, um but they had said, "Look, we want straight actors. We want all, you know, like the, you know, the four old white guys in it. You know, the Peter Graves, Leslie mm-hmm. Nielsen, Lloyd Bridges, Robert um, Stack, Robert Stack. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted, the, they wanted straight actors like that, and that the the studio wanted comedic actors. Because um, the yeah. only one of those that even in their heart yearned to be a comic was Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> yes, they yeah. people said to him afterwards, you know, what was it like?" Um, 
kind of being cast against type. And he said, oh, I'd been cast against type for my entire career up to that point, because really I was a comedian. <laughs> it's only since Airplane that people have actually cast me for comic roles. This is a man who apparently carried around at, at all times in his pocket a fart machine. He did, he used it on Wogan. Yeah, did he? Yeah. Just, just I, I watched that. that, that that's just... the easy bit. The hard bit that he also managed is he apparently managed to keep it being funny. <laughs> yeah, Even well, when everybody yeah. knew he had it. <laughs> <laughs> and that, I mean, that airplane does that. How mm. many times have I watched it? Well, enough that I'm word perfect and more than I ought to be. And <laughs> it still keeps being funny. You either spot something new or you're really glad to see an old friend of this joke that comes up and kind of you know, gives you a slap on the back and a hug. It's terrific. Well, so we've we've. I mean, I guess we've dismissed zero hour because I mean, there's really not a huge amount more to say. About well, it. the one thing I would say is that Airplane is not a spoof of Zero Hour exactly, right. and there's a very good okay. reason for that. If you spoof Zero Hour specifically, nobody's seen it. Mm-hmm. So. You, you know, you've lost the joke. The amazing thing I think they did pull off, firstly, they managed to tie it to the newer era of disaster movies, because there'd been sort of disaster movies all through Hollywood, right from the really early days. But the silent 70s, days. The 70s, but the 70s brought, to, they? They brought mm. together a particular kind of thing. You got the Poseidon adventure and the Towering Inferno and all these. All and it was, stars and airport. Died. Big stars you were watching, like, is Roddy McDowell going to fall to his death? Or, you know, can, can Shelley Winters really swim that far? All these, uh, these things. No. <laughs> well, the answer is yes. Yes, she can. Well, Sadly, however. Yeah, but anyway. Unfortunately. So you've got all these stars kind of sharing uh, a movie, uh, although the behind the scenes battles over whose name got to be higher on the poster were apparently epic. <laughs> yeah. And that is the kind of thing that Airplane is really sort of parodying. It's completely rigidly stuck on top of the script and some of the direction and the shots and some of the characters from Zero Hour, right down to the same name. (laughs) They they followed the film direction so that you can play them, you know, side by side with the same dialogue. And they even use the same shots. Yeah. Uh, um. It's it, it is real. It, they use it like a bible. Then they just yep. added to it. But despite that, the jokes are funny, even though you hadn't seen Zero. Right? I mean, yeah. okay, they, they've lifted the name of Ted Striker. We've got him as the main character. It's the same name there. If they were just parodying that film, we know it wouldn't work. A lot of later parodies of films, because Airplane really started a whole separate line of these things, yeah. fall into this. You get things like yeah. Robin Hood Men in Tights, which does specific gags that are only funny if you've seen Kevin Costner's I, Robin well, Hood. I wanted yeah. to bring up Mel Brooks, because there's an apocryphal... I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but there's a story about Mel Brooks watching Airplane and his heart sinking and realise he'd been bested at his own game. Um, by these young upstarts. I don't know. I mean, he, maybe Mel Brooks said that to someone. I, I don't know. But there is a truth mm-hmm. to that in that he, I don't know, Airplane just, to use another famous comedy phrase, did turn it up to 11. They just upped the gag count and they, they were not, they were not, what I, what I think works for me about Airplane is they are not at all precious about what's going to work as a, they will try anything. Yeah. anything and they'll try it rapidly yes. and very often at the same time. There are, there are some jokes that you can't actually, get both of them at the same time because mm. they're happening at the same time and your your attention is needed on one or the other. If I, you don't you get that joke, it doesn't matter. In the Mayo Clinic, that there's, yeah. there's a, whole, a whole shelf full of mayonnaise. I hadn't yeah. even noticed you never noticed that? The, every shelf is oh full of God. jars of mayonnaise. It's the most oh juvenile 
puerile sophomoric humour, and it's superb. How does that work, really, on the big screen? How on earth can you possibly have, oh, it's the Mayo Clinic, and there are all these jars of mayo. And then we get the, you know, of yeah. uh, Dr. Ham on, on line two, and it's <laughs> like, oh, get me, get me Ham on five, five hold the mayo. the mayo. Oh, my God. How can that work? This is, of course, just after we've had the gags with the um, courtesy phones. Yeah. He picks up the no. red courtesy phone and says, no, the white courtesy phone. And before that, we've got him. That, that the whacking material imp- magazine. <laughs> that oh, may my have, God. That thing about the red courtesy phone may have been improvised on set. There, there are oh, really? I, I have read that as well that someone said no the white phone and they kept it in uh, um, I, I think that the thing for me th- this is the first film I met at least and certainly one of the only ones to have done it where the, the basic idea was if you don't like the joke never mind because there's another one happening already an, exactly so I slightly sidetracked you John because I think that was a That's very easy. good point that, um, you know you were saying that a lot of later films a, a lot of films after this felt that it was funny enough just to restage a scene from a film that everyone knew. Yeah, look at the scary movie, the superhero movie, all those kind of things. That is not, that's really not how Airplane, there were nods to other films, Mm. like Saturday Night Fever, from here to eternity, apparently, I don't know how true this is, not one of the, neither of the Zucker brothers, Abrams, had not seen from here to eternity, were not attempting to parody from here to eternity in the (laughs) beach scene, they just wanted a love scene on a beach, I don't know how true that is, because, um, but they're not, it doesn't rely on you going, oh, ha-ha, that's from here, from here to here. There are gags on top of that, and gags on yeah. top of that, and, and it doesn't, you don't need to have seen... And exactly. I, they do... I don't know who Ethel Merman is, or I didn't, until I saw Airplane, but... Okay, I, this, this massive final funny. film role. Uh, massive Broadway star Gypsy and all that kind of stuff. She, but she, you she get that huge. from the way it's staged, and you don't... You know, you don't need it for the gag to be funny. That when yeah. she, as she's sedated, going, she's, going she's up, also <laughs> she's also uh, is it Lieutenant Hurwitz uh, yes. she's playing, and you know you're expecting a guy. Yeah. You know, this is, this is just, a ward in an army psychiatric hospital. Suddenly, there's Ethel, Ethel Merman with all the hair and makeup and everything. Yeah, you know, that's sort of funny anyway. Even yeah. if I was. I saw it when I was like 11 or 12, I can't remember. It was, it was probably one, one of the very, very first films I ever saw on video. And I didn't know who Ethel Merman was at the time either. Mm. I mean, I had the excuse of being quite young, Nick. Your excuse now, I, as a grown man of the world, I just don't know. Well, I mean, I can Google Ethel Merman, add indeed. Perfect. Can, but it is not, rest, not necessary for the joke. Yeah. But there are, there are other bits of sort of stunt casting that operate jokes on a different level, yes. which... You'll only know, you've either got to have some very, very deep, deep knowledge of some quite wide subjects, or you've found out since the invention of the internet. Yes. When you could loop people up. Apparently the taxi, you know, the guy who's waiting in the taxi. Oh, yes. Tell me, because there is, he was a taxi, he did some tax thing. He's not an actor. He's not an actor. He's a politician. Yes, and he was famous for some tax law, which made the fact that he was sitting in a taxi for, however, for the entire length of the film... Yeah, and then at the end he has that, well, I'll give him 20 minutes, but then that's it. And yeah. he's, he was very, very sort of fiscally responsible. And this, this whole, I've forgotten his name. I probably wrote it down. I, I think I've it was, it was one of those California initiatives of soldiers. You, you don't want to pay anything like as much taxes. And we'll, mm-hmm. we'll just cut the libraries to pay for it because who uses libraries? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that gag works well, even if you funny, don't know, you don't know who he is. Mm-hmm. And it, when I've read about it, in fact, even, you're thinking, well, you know, he's an American politician. Yeah, but he's a California politician. Apparently, a lot of people in America wouldn't recognise him either. 
Yeah, it still doesn't yeah. matter. He's a guy who has sat there for the entire duration of the movie with, I think, one flick back to him in the middle. Yes, I think so. And, and then, then the he's the last gag, you know. And then Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Abdul who I, you know, I've known, but it's quite clear he is he is a famous sports person. Following the tradition from Zero Hour, yes, El- switching El- roles. Crazy Legs Hirsch. Okay. The pilot in Zero Hour, mm-hmm. not the co-pilot. Really? That was a pilot sports had star. a very lantern jaw. Wow. And a time mark, didn't he? Yeah, he did. <laughs> I mean, I don't, oh, is it hot in here? Um, sorry, that was disturbing. I don't know. Um, uh, let's move on from where we are now to somewhere else. Well, all right, let's talk about the four <laughs> white guys. Yeah, okay. The four okay. old white guys. So, Robert Stack, Captain Kramer... The mm. former CO, uh, he had been in the High and the Mighty uh, as as the captain who mm-hmm. John, had he? I think whom he was John, John known... Wayne corrects when he makes an error by slapping him because John Wayne. Oh my uh, god! I think yeah, he was mainly not... known from the Untouchables. The Untouchables. He was Elliot Ness. Yeah. 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 Uh, he'd also been in Murder on Flight Five Hundred Two, which is so obscure even I haven't found a copy yet. Wow. <laughs> Apparently, so when he was talking to Lloyd Bridges, and Lloyd Bridges was, you know, approaching it from, what's my motivation? I don't understand this. He very much got the joke and was like, Lloyd, we are the joke. <laughs> <laughs> and so he really, uh, could, uh, he really got it in a way that some of the others didn't. He had been through it before, though. Because right. as well as having been in disaster movies, he was in Steven Spielberg's 1941, which was a movie Ooh. disaster. And he, he basically sends up his own image in that film. So right. out of those those main guys, Lloyd Bridges may have done... He, he definitely did a comedy. He did play a comedy role at one point. Mm. He didn't do many. I mean, you go on to Lloyd Bridges, he's best known probably as Mike Nelson in Sea Hunt on the TV. That's right, yeah. But also, he had his own... Yeah, the Lloyd Bridges show in America, which I don't know whether he even got shown over here way before my time. Roger might know. And <laughs> uh, Purely because you're such a diligent researcher, Roger. <laughs> Uh, I, d- I do know that he, he he had an aviation disaster connection in that he played the San Francisco airport manager in San Francisco International Airport. Uh, oh, really? One, yeah. one season TV series in in nineteen seventy. Most of, most the of these series, guys. Roger. No, not no. one. Shocking. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the direction the Zucker brothers uh, Zaz gave to them. Because uh, it's often misinterpreted as um, play it straight, but it wasn't that. It was no. act like you uh, you don't know you're in a comedy. And the point was they've got to play it exactly like they were in a B movie. So they yeah. really wanted that earnestness and that melodrama. And they, uh, you know, all of those guys stepped up to the. Yeah, well, consider that scene in the tower where having had Lloyd Bridges' character escalating a breakdown and going from <laughs> looks like I picked the wrong week to go up smoking, which that is a was gag. A hard, that is it's a, a line from, from Zero Hour. Zero hour. Which is hard he, line then, to watch. he then moves on to drinking and amphetamines and then sniffing glue. He, when he thinks the plane is going to crash into the tower, he tur- you know, he sort of screams, turns, runs and dives through the window, actually smashing the window and you know, presumably falling to his death. And everyone in the tower turns looking at him as he goes, and then just turns back and carries on. There's no real acknowledgement. He hasn't acted as if he wasn't there. You know, they've just sort of, yep, and then we carry on. I found that, you know, narratively, because, well, one of the reasons, which will probably come as an airplane works, is because the plot is actually 
you you're invested in these characters. You want them mm. to land. You want them to. So the plot works, and so the fact that they that Lloyd Bridges' character just dies off at the end, yeah. I found that hard. Well, I, he it's on unspecified fate. I found that hard because I don't know. I I struggled with that throwaway gag of a throwaway character. Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Mm. I don't like. But he was a throwaway character. Well, he so. was anyway. Uh, and Peter Graves, of course, just to finish off the um, the group, best known as um, Jim Phelps in Mission that, Impossible. That's certainly who I see. He did have an aviation disaster connection. He did. SST Death Flight. <laughs> oh, my God. Which, that sounds like a good film. Well, I haven't been able to find the original version, uh, but it is... It, After it Peter was, Graves had them all burnt. <laughs> it, it was, it was uh, used in the very first season of Mystery Science Theatre 3000. <laughs> Which now, is a, a stamp of quality for any movie, <laughs> isn't it? Now, of them all, Peter Graves was by far the most reluctant to do this film, I gather. And uh, I mean, he's the one who had the uh, <laughs> the Gladiator movie line, so probably was more reluctant than others. I mean, I don't know if that. I we've looked at a lot of films that have uh, maybe look a little different from 2021 than they did at the time. I don't think. I'm, I think that still works to me, as I, I know there have been a lot of developments in the paedophile field, <laughs> can I say? Oh, well, I must then. say I don't keep abreast of them, not even <laughs> professionally. But it, You're obviously know. ahead of me there. It still works for me, just... just I, I think every... E- even if people hadn't met them or didn't want to talk about, about them or didn't know, you know, didn't know how to what extent it was a problem, everybody knew that there were, at least yes. in theory, predatory men out there. You know, the the, mis- the the stranger who offers you the lollipop thing, I was certainly told mm-hmm. about as a kid. I, I'm gonna be, I never know, knew anybody it happened to, but... It, everybody well, was warned about it. For me, it would be like a family. I don't really get Stranger that. But it would be like, oh, you know, Uncle, you know, he's just a bit funny. It, it wasn't cloaked with the same utter shield of darkness and evil that it is. I mean, I'm not saying it isn't, but it just didn't have the quite the same utter depths of evil connotations mm. that it does from 2021. Oh, incidentally, um, uh, just sorry, just to leap back, Howard Jarvis, I've just found in my notes where I put the name of the US politician in the taxi. Oh, yes, they, that rings mm-hmm. a bell. For but the yeah, person Peter... shouting at the podcast now. <laughs> aside from... Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Howard. Um, uh, Peter Graves, uh, aside from uh, those jokes, he just he didn't he just didn't get it. He didn't understand it. But his wife did, and his wife was the one who made him go and do it. And his wife was the one that dragged him along to the premiere as well. But because you know he came back for the sequel, and mm. also uh, years oh, and years ass. later, uh, yeah, well, they had nothing to do with that at all. They, cl- I think, they still claim they've never seen it, but mm. who knows? Uh, but Peter Graves actually appeared in a kind of promotional thing for something or other. I can't remember what. Years later, may have been for an airline. And he was sort of in his airline part thing as uh, as Captain Over, just as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Robert Hayes did a series of um, tourism commercials for uh, Wisconsin travel in 2013 or thereabouts. So he may have been reluctant, but I think he warmed to it. it well, yeah, he was. Um, there is, uh, I think he was talking about, um, in one of the commentaries, um, that he saw a kid looking at him in a supermarket in a funny way, and he leaned over and said, do you like gladiator movies? <laughs> <laughs> and the mum picked the kid up and ran off. <laughs> Which he seemed to take as a win, but I'm, I'm not sure. Um, there is actually a line that was cut. I don't know how seriously this was in the movie, but this was when they were 
kind of transcribing because they had to watch Zero Hour and transcribe the script. Yeah. Um, and so in the line where he says, have you ever been in a cockpit before? For a joke, one of the Zucker brothers wrote, have you ever sucked a grown man's cock before? <laughs> and they kept it in because it made them laugh and they knew it would never make it into oh, the film. This sounds but, a bit like one of those things that they used to do for, you know, we, we, we know that the censors will be looking for 30 seconds yes. that they'll tell us to cut. So we'll put in these yeah. 30 seconds. And then we'll take out that, yeah. Yeah, whatever. Dennis, Dennis Norden, um, and, uh, people used to do that when they were writing. They put something about Nefertiti, the nine-breasted Egyptian <laughs> ruler, because they knew that would be cut out. But two pages after that, they could then say, oh, look, I mean, we already cut out the, uh, so the joke they really wanted, they can leave mm-hmm. in. They can negotiate. Uh, which is a shame, because the Nefertiti joke, well, I thought was quite good. <laughs> and, of course, Leslie Nielsen. But before we get to Leslie Nielsen, there were two other actors, at least, that this role was offered to. And I would mm-hmm. love to have seen either of them doing it. Oh, yes. Vincent Price. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Christopher uh... Lee. I'd rather have seen Vincent Price. <laughs> Honestly, I... Th- mm. I th- of the two, that, well, if, of those three, uh, I think Leslie Nielsen kind of works best when you've seen Zero Hour as well. When you see mm. the Doctor in Zero Hour. Yeah. Yeah. He fills just, that role perfectly. That's all, I love that. That was one moment I just love. And I didn't really get it until I'd seen Zero Hour. But there's a moment which says, excuse me, I think the man next to me is a Doctor. Yes. And in Zero Hour, he's just a guy asleep in an airplane. Yeah. He's got a stethoscope in. I just, yeah. I just, in his ears. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. But yeah, again, he, he, funny, even if you haven't seen Zero Hour. Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah he, he yeah. does not have uh, aviation disaster experience at this point. Uh, no. In Forbidden Planet, of course. Um, they landed safely. Uh, yeah, not and, aviation disaster. And the Wasn't Poseidon adventure where they didn't land at all. Yeah, or oh. let's not forget he was the bad guy in Viva Knievel. <laughs> and Christopher will, Lee yeah. was in 1941, if we want a connection. Oh, well, a not connection. <laughs> 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 well, well I, done, uh, well done, Nick. But the, well, he wasn't tra- actually was in airplane. Of, <laughs> I was trying to think of Christopher Lee comedy films that he's done. That's the only one that I can think of. Uh, he, oh God, what's that superhero one he was in? Oh, uh, the Return of Captain Invincible. Uh, that's kind of well, sort of. He, 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 the musical numbers are pretty damn good. Here you go. Well, Leslie Nielsen. I mean, we have touched. This, upon this was Leslie definitely Nielsen. the start of his comedy career. Uh, I, I think, yeah. <laughs> in a way, it was the start of his career because he mm. really had been, I, in a way, a lot like Dana Andrews. He'd had that almost a sort of leading man. He'd been a leading man, but not particularly. Forbidden Planet was not a um, a, a sort of standard a lister. We think of as much more successful in retrospect because it's. Is now a classic. No, it's it pretty, pretty successful, it and right. it, it was it relatively expensive to... too. But it wasn't the same as you know John Wayne right. being in a in a pic- picture. It wasn't a sort of a full-on A-lister um, type movie that he was at the helm of. Um, Forbidden Planet was a big serious role, and in a way, he's you know clean-cut, good-looking, kind of forgettable because he's mm. that sort of role. Unfortunately, uh, they always say it's harder to play the Boy Scouts; it's much more fun playing the villain. Yeah. Um, although they usually forbidden... get the British actor for it. Yeah, Forbid- Forbidden Planet, kind of the villain is also the person who's the good guy. It's complicated. Anyway, it's very complicated. <laughs> but, a bit like Dana Andrews, he had sort of a couple of pieces like that, but fundamentally was a solid supporting and B-movie actor. But unlike Dana Andrews, um, his carried popularity and career... He carried a fart machine. His 
Drew went through the roof. He absolutely embraced it. I mean, once he'd gone on with um, the Zuckers uh, to do um, Police Squad, and then that became the Naked Gun, there was no stopping him, really. Well, sadly, because it didn't, ultimately the, the, the scripts yeah. didn't keep up with his skill. But... Well, he did end up in Dracula Dead and loving it, didn't he? Another Mel Brooks. <laughs> Dear me. Um, Mel, Bro- Mel Brooks films stopped just before Spaceballs, if you're wondering. Okay, yeah, that's <laughs> probably right. Again, one of my favourite... My favourite gags nowadays are the ones that aren't immediately obvious. One of my favourite gags in Airplane is, is, you know, the hysterical woman. Leslie yes. Nielsen's doctor just gets a second slap in, and I think yeah. there's something so uh, much funnier about the second slap. It, it's funny in Zero Hour, really. I mean, there's this scene <laughs> where she smashed the glass cover on... She's actually sitting next to the emergency exit to the plane mm-hmm. in Zero Hour. There's much more drama there. Yeah. Because in airplane, she's actually in an aisle seat, yeah. uh, not by an emergency exit. You know, well, we've already seen this woman. Up, <laughs> yeah, and you, you know, people sort of shake. Oh, pull, pull yourself up together, snap out of it, kind of thing. And in airplane, you've got the classic scene where everybody lines up to have a go, and then it gets to the jive talking guys have got like a you know a re- monkey wrench, and there's a woman there with a pistol, and they're all waiting to beat the crap out of this woman. You know, great line, but it's. Um, it's funny seeing something like that in Zero and then seeing what they've done is just kind of expand on it, take it that little well, bit further. Was, yeah, so, same with the, the guy, you know, do you want to, you know, talking to the woman next to him, do you want to, do you want to pull off the hip flask? And she says, certainly not. And she gets the cocaine, yeah. And the other moment with the uh, the stewardess when she's like, I'm just wondering what you both had for dinner. Oh, yeah. fish. Okay. And then, yeah. of course, in airplane, about. she turns to the camera and sticks her fist in her mouth. I don't know. Just I, And now seeing that in Zero Hour, you just kind of want it to happen. It's <laughs> oh, God, just yes. how you... Um, speaking of the Jive guys and mm. looking at things from the perspective of 2021, there are... I mean, the, the only thing I feel... We're probably the only thing that really dates... Airplane in an uncomfortable way is is racial stereotypes, and there's a fair bit of it in Airplane. Um, yeah, there's quite a lot. Um, I mean, the thing that dates it the most is the fact that you can just walk through an airport. <laughs> <laughs> uh, true, true. But, you know, we have this idea that that black people talking needs... I mean, oh, that's awkward for me because I watched the first season of The Wire and I had to put the subtitles on. So, you know, I'm not. But it's. <laughs> okay. Um, I know, that's honest, you know. Uh, well, it is. Um, people people it, apparently do that with Rapsi Nesbitt, so it's but, not. Uh, well, uh, exactly, the first but, half hour of train spotting got redubbed for the US market. True. I, but it, well, not, so did Mad Max. <laughs> it's not something that is, I don't know, that seems necessarily comedic nowadays. And similarly, you know, when we have the Japanese uh, general committing seppuku and, you know, the self immolation of an Indian probably blacked up. <laughs> In fact, I'm pretty sure it was blacked up. Yeah, um, not character. So. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, we even have uh, a, a Hasidically dressed up <laughs> aeroplane. Um, yeah, for Air Israel. And, yeah, I mean, um, yeah, they, they, they were going to do a thing about Polish people as well, but the, the, some anti-defamation league or equivalent got in touch and said no just don't do that so, uh, uh, got a so couple of Jewish jokes in though they got the um, the pamphlet uh, great Jewish sporting heroes oh yeah oh my god I'd forgotten that, uh, you yeah. might be interested yeah. to know that there is actually a book called um, Jewish Basketball Legends wow why wouldn't it be well why not but do you do you see the the jive guys in the same light that you see the unfortunately browned up Indian fella who doesn't say anything. He's just there, a, a 
sort of um, visual stereotype mm, yeah. as part of a running gag, it could have been a completely different character. I mean, we yeah, start. It's yeah. for, we're going through these because we know the thing. Anyone who's listening and hasn't actually seen this film yet, if there are such people, go, go, go has the film no idea. Back. I mean, you should do that. With it's, all the it's the running gag about um, you know, start talking to somebody on the, an airplane, and then you get a bit of the life story. And Ted Stryker's then they don't shut up. Yeah, he doesn't shut up, and he's got the most tedious flashback moment. So we get with a lovely romantic flashback or whatever it is, and we come back to the person next to him is either dead, um, like the woman has hanged herself, <laughs> or, about or they're about to kill themselves, you know, the Japanese general. It's, the it's not Indian... a great gag, but it's no. just the way that they do it. They, by God, they stuck with it, though. So I, I think, um, I think that may actually be the... a callback to the High and the Mighty. Ah, um, yeah. there, there is certainly, a, I mean, not... Not not in detail, but there is a scene in there where one of the flight crew is worrying about, you know, there there is something wrong with this plane, and you know, can, mm-hmm. can, can, am, am I up to dealing with it, and so on, while one of the others is going on and on about this very long, boring story about his wife. Right. So it may well. Which is yeah. just fading in and out as, as as our guy we're actually looking at is is trying to have an internal monologue. So <laughs> so 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 given that it's a shame that they've used this rather poor. You know, Indian stereotype there, but it it, it, it wasn't actually a joke about him being an Indian, was it? I find it hard random to condemn. Random people on the plane. Uh, yeah. Uh, sorry, what was that, Roger? It, it could have been just you know ra- random fellow passengers. It but, could have been, yeah. and and they could have all been killing. I, I mean, I understand the shorthand, and you get. But similarly, we have the is it the Malimbi tribe in the flashback? You yeah, know, yeah. Where they're all playing basketball, and big, yeah, that can be a bit because awkward. they're black. They're all much better at basketball than him, yeah. and it you know. Because mm. that segment does have a, a beautifully acted punch to the face from Robert Hayes. <laughs> it does. It, I mean, um, I mean that's Hayes, spot on. Well, so I I mean uh, for me. I'm, I, we need to talk about Robert Hayes, but we do. Um, uh, and uh, the only qualified pilot in the cast. Yeah, well, there was. I think oh, I think you mentioned someone else in the commentary, but I could, <laughs> uh, maybe Bob, maybe Bob um, Stack. Um, but uh, I, as far as the racial stereotyping goes, I, it's a shorthand for a lot of gags. It's a it's a very small proportion of the gags. I can kind of forgive it from young guys. I, it's harder to forgive nowadays. Yeah, but you wouldn't do it now. So, uh, but in 1980, well, we uh, <laughs> uh, it, 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 I don't know about innocent, but maybe uninformed or well, ignorant. Or just there's like... also don't don't you've got to look at airplane in historical context because every film is is to do with when it's made, regardless mm. of when oh, yeah. it's set. And it's a, a you know it's a contemporary film set in the late 70s to 1980, about when it's set. You're still getting black exploitation movies. I mean, the, yeah. you know, the, the the kind of genre has has died off, but that doesn't mean they aren't still doing the odd one or two and trying to keep them going a bit. And that was that was big, and in many parts of um, sort of black communities, was was popular, hugely popular, and popular in a positive way. Yeah, plenty of black people didn't like them because they said, well, you know, why isn't there every every black hero in one of these movies is a, is a pimp or a drug dealer? But <laughs> okay, yeah. Putting that aside, the whole street talk and getting people to actually be on on the screen talking the way they they sort of would was a big thing in this uh, sort of emergent 1970s genre. Yeah, that you just didn't see anywhere else. But then I guess the the audience seeing people who sound like them, people who look like them. Exactly. Um, I mean, Mario Van Peebles actually died a couple of days ago, and Mm. and, um, Sweet Sweetback's badass 
song, and that's you know that was really influential. And the reason he called it that, he said, was because he could have called it you know something like the Indomitable Street Sweetback, and he said that wouldn't have told the people I wanted I yeah. made it for that it was their movie. Yeah. So you could look at the two guys speaking jive, who are actually pretty positive characters, apart from they the fact are. that they line up to beat up that woman who gets hysterical. <laughs> I mean, the actors were, you know, did a lot. Of, I mean, it's, it's, it was. And I, well, Zaz had written heightened. some some vaguely jive-like text, yeah, in the script, and it was not even the, they knew was rubbish, and so, so yeah. they yeah. just told these guys because they were Jewish guys from Wisconsin. Yeah. <laughs> but then for that for that scene, just moving slightly away from the, is it racist or not, and I think to be honest. Those characters, even now, I'm not sure you could get everyone to agree on whether that's racist or not, because they aren't the butt of the jokes or anything because they're black. But yes, they are two guys having almost as... Well, what you're really laughing at is the subtitles compared to what they're saying, because it's perfectly possible to follow what they're saying. Where, you know, they're going, shit, man. And the subtitles are, golly. <laughs> golly. Actually, uh, a slight aside, it, mm. uh, when I think this, uh, Zaz was watching um, this in German, and a lot of the jokes didn't translate, and they were like, oh, no funny laughing. And it came up to the, the jive guys, and everyone pissed themselves, and they were like, how did that work? And they asked the, the, the producer, they were like, oh, we dubbed them in Bavarian. <laughs> Which is, <laughs> <laughs> apparently it's just... <laughs> Yeah, in, in, in the early 80s, not a whole lot of black guys in Bavaria. <laughs> well, probably more than there had been in, say, the mid-40s. Yeah. Um, I, I want to talk about Robert Hayes, because mm. he never... I, I mean, he carried on working after this. He was in. He a, did. He, he was busy He's still working now. Before yeah. then. Yes. But he never... I think it's fair to say he was never in a hit like this. Um, and it's a shame, because I would say... You touched on it before, John, that he is he's actually... If the whole film was played completely straight, he does a kind of a better job of it than Dana. Than Dana Andrews. I think he does a much better job. Yeah, he's also bloody good in the Saturday Night Fever send-up. I mean, him and Julie Haggerty—they've really got the moves. They're actually going for it. (laughs) Well, what I mean again, what they say in the commentary is he couldn't dance, and they had piano wire tied to him, sort of telling him where to move, which is why the whole sequence of him doing the the Russian dancing came about. And then he said, "I can juggle as well." They were like, "Okay, let's throw some balls in." But his, you know, his reaction—he's a very empathetic character. I don't know, even when he's saying, what a pisser. <laughs> Breaking the fourth wall, which is a oh, bizarre thing to happen at that state. That's quite early on in the film, and straight yeah. away, um, he's, he's talking directly to the, the audience, which is a gag they don't really play Never with. Really I, yeah. I think but it's he's... very easy to overdo, but as a, as a, what would it be, a bathetic cap to the very dramatic moment, it mm. works. Yes, because it comes after the, after Elaine and Ted, he's caught up with her at the airport, um, after going through, uh, part two of a running gag about the religious people giving out, from the Church of Religious Consciousness giving out flowers. And whereas oh, Elaine just takes, Elaine has taken the flower and just said, no thanks, I don't want to give a, <laughs> a donation, but thank you for the flower. Whereas they sort of get hold of, uh, Ted and them. He leaves the jacket with them. He just slips out of his leather jacket and keeps going. Mm. They caught, he's, the he caught up with them. Uh, with Elaine, she she doesn't want to stay with him. She can't talk about it. She's got to get on with the job. He's left there in Chicago. What a pisser! And of course, there's, you know, there's all these people in the airport, but the only people you can really talk to are the audience. Yeah, it's a, it's a dramatic. It's, it's beautifully puncturing the melodramatic moments. Um, nice, 
but he is. I thought he was great in it. Mm. Um, he just and I. I it's a shame we. I, I know he has kept working. He's done a lot of things, but he, he's not. I don't know. Not many things that I have seen, frankly. Uh, have you seen Cat's Eyes, Stephen King anthology? I movie? have. I yeah, have. he's in that. That's um, about the only. Other. He, he was in. Um, Oh god, it was a TV series I never watched, which is why I can't remember the name of it. But anyway, he was in a fairly popular TV series. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in a way, I mean, Julie Haggerty, much the same. Um, yeah. She's kept working and done lots of stuff, and in America, a little bit more visible. But really, you would expect, and I think she she may have done quite a bit of Broadway. Uh, yeah, you would have she... expected both of them to have really flown off this, not mm. Leslie Nielsen. Oh, oh. Uh, well, yeah, well, that's it. So Julie Haggerty, again, she plays the stewardess wife. You mm-hmm. care about, you care about, you, you uh, to use the modern parlance, you ship them, or I do. <laughs> um, and uh, yes, that means you, yeah, you she, are she, interested she, she'd, she'd in these characters first... becoming a romantic figure. Uh, a bit, a bit of stage character. acting before this, but this is her first film mm-hmm. role. And she's been in a lot. I mean, she's kept working... Ever since um, she looks, I'm uh, sorry. Uh, I, again, this is a very sexy thing. So she looks phenomenal now, uh, considering yeah. it's forty years later. Um, she was a model, I think, before. Um, but you know, you really uh, want again another of the reasons airplane works is you care about them and you kind of yeah. want them to get together. Um, aside from everything else, and she does superb bits in managing to get a sort of dreamy romantic. Um, I remember what it was like. It's like you know, I wanted to be like. What was before? Do you remember? And she's like, you know, I remember everything. And then in this kind of I remember everything, talking about the sort of way they were together, and she says, where well, I used to sit on your face and wriggle. And, and that's <laughs> just, it's not reacted to. That, that, that line is why Sigourney Weaver didn't take the part. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> it could have been I... her, but... <laughs> uh, see, it's hard to imagine they're playing with anyone. You know, straight, mm. I'd love Sigourney she did Weaver. Get, but, she did get um, Ghostbusters, though. I wouldn't want her to be in this because I want Julie Haggerty in it. The, the thing is that the, the, the original part is, is really pretty thankless. I mean, L- Linda mm. Donnell is basically yeah. there. She she has a good start in Zero Hour, you know, where she's yes. finally admitting, alright, you know, we can't just go around this cycle one more time. I've got to actually yeah. do something because he sure ain't going to. And exactly. I mean, really, Ted, Ted Stryker is, um, he, he's, he's damaged and he's hmm. a bit of a loser. He won't yeah. face up to responsibility. Or, the only person dragging up his war record is him, but he's, he's basically sabotaging everything he does because of it. Well, in, in Zero uh, Hour, he is actually breaking out of that cycle even before the film it, starts. Yeah, well, that's the thing. It just kind of comes up. But to we, it, but, but you know, we don't know that this job would last any longer than in, any of the others. No. No, precisely. He's quite positive about it. Um, you have to read between the lines because you can't tell through the acting. But <laughs> you can tell that his um, wife has stuck through him, mm. uh, stuck with him through all that of these things. Seen this exact thing for ten years. Many times before. Yeah. But that, yeah. that's the thing. She, she's got that lovely start. But really, once they get on the plane, once they've had she's an initial confrontation, yeah, yeah, she she yeah. looks luminous in that in that very thirties forties style. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of and, a shame in the. 50s movie, isn't it? Yeah, and uh, insofar as Julie Haggerty's role is taken from Zero Hour, there's a lot of that there. I mean, they get the confrontation over with even sooner. Yeah. And then, yeah, she doesn't really get that much. Well, she does get some gags. um, Randy, who of course has a a name, I think she's just referred to as the stewardess all the time. Well, that's why I was looking at the the, the credits and she's just the stewardess, I think, or the other... Um, well, oh, she's, I mean, she gets she gets the musical number and, and everything, doesn't she? Oh my god! I don't know if that's her singing. 
the actually. River of Jordan guy, he just, he was so, he granted the rights to it, and it was a song that he wrote for his friend's wedding, and it meant a huge amount to him, and then he went to the showing and saw what they'd done to his masterpiece. He was not. Well, the, this is hmm. where we start talking about a film that we're not going to talk about at great length, though it is going to get a written review on my blog, because, yeah, well, you me. sat through it. Um, but Airports, <laughs> Airports 1975, or just Airports 1975. Yeah. Is this with the singing nun? Yeah. Uh, there, there are other bits lifted as well, but uh, in in that, um, the singing, well, guitar playing and singing none is Helen Reddy, mm-hmm. uh, and the the little girl is Linda Blair. Holy yes, smoke. a year after The Exorcist. Um, and this was after. I was going to say because I thought um, Linda Blair's Exorcist role was her first role, but then it was then by the centre. Uh, so this is obviously a few years later. Uh, they they did try to get Helen Reddy back, but Universal said, "You do that, and we will see you into the ground." Wow. Uh, so was they there got... a reason that the because it felt like a gag that I didn't quite get, where she kind of goes up to the nun and says. I have a girl who could, you know, it, it really needs some help. The and nun is a bit of stunt of, casting. It's kind yeah. of built up to be, can you come and play for it? And then she just goes, like, can I borrow your guitar? And then, I, is that is that the joke well, there? No, no, no. In, in, in uh, Airport 75, uh, there, there are two nuns travelling together, and one of them sees the girl being brought on. And <laughs> two nuns on a plane. Decides nuns to... Life magazine, a joke from earlier in the film. <laughs> they de- had to decides film to that. go yeah. over and offer to play. The, um, I think the girl mm-hmm. has the guitar. Sure. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's Helen Reddy, so of course she can play guitar. <laughs> I, I have one of my the, they, I, I should just like to say, uh, that is Maureen McGovern. Yes. Who had sung the themes for the Poseidon Adventure and the Towering Inferno. Yeah, others. her entire career the in this, the nun, Sister oh, Angelina, the wow. nun, is, that's what I was saying to you yesterday, and you're saying, you know, you'll save it for the you night. Tell me in the book. That's the bit of stunt casting that nobody would get. You've well, got to we, really yeah. dig deep. And um, I found this out, uh, well, funnily enough, about three days ago, when I was researching this. <laughs> I will say, my problem with that scene is... She's got a new album common, out, by the way. ...is one of my common... Hollywood, that's not how medicine works. Things, it's just like, if you disconnect a drip from someone for three seconds, it will make zero difference to them. Even yeah. if it's a drip full of morphine, I, it's not, you don't immediately start to die. Particularly not if you've got, cardio, presumably, um, uh, cardiopulmonary disease, and actually mm-hmm. being on a drip is probably the last thing you want. So, so, so in all of airplane, that's your problem with reality. Uh, well, just, that, that's actually an homage in itself, if you, if you really want to stretch things a bit. Because right, in Airport yes, 75, yes. Uh, the, the, little, the little girl is um, go, going to get a kidney transplant, and there is a time pressure thing because she can't be off the dialysis machine for more than however many hours. Dialysis right, machines in not... 1975 were, were about, you know, not much say. bigger than my chest. All you need to do is supply power and fluids, and, and they just keep running. You can take them on a plane. They did. Also, she's not on a dialysis machine. Oh yeah, no, in, it's a heart But yeah, that they are. They are. If, if you if you really want to stretch the thing, they are, they are copying the complete medical illiteracy of the film they're copying. <laughs> Pretty um, sure yeah. that wasn't why they did it. They did it because <laughs> an IV drip is cheap and an obvious gone. prop. If I think about it, she may have got an air embolism, but yeah, there, well, there are some I other mean, things that that I, I was I spotted because I watched Airport seventy five fifty days before watching Airplane again. Um, go on then, Roger. When Julie is first waste. walking into into the airport, um, that whole the cap that whole shot with the camera following her 
and you know interacting with various things in a minor way but she's clearly got a yeah. place to go uh, that is straight out of the intro of airport 75 uh, mm-hmm. the clinic phone call is basically framed the same way with obviously more bouncy hearts. Yeah. Uh, Official, and, and the bit about the last conscious crew member turning on the uh, autopilot is also in Airport 75. Oh, autopilot. Um, how many um, airport films were for? Okay. Uh, were, were there uh, any of them any good? <laughs> Uh, original Airport is basically much more about. Well, uh, this is where we come back to Arthur Haley, in fact. Uh, <laughs> Because he wrote the book, he, 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 his book of, uh, well, the zero hour basically. Yeah. Big, was reasonably successful. And so he started writing other books. And in particular, the, the, the two he'd written most recently in 1970 were Hotel and Airport. Yeah. Hotel, um, which of course went on to be successfully uh, filmed and that as well, didn't it? And both of those basically took the approach of, we, you know, ab- absorb a lot about the workings of a complex organisation and then write a fictional version of it in which all sorts of stuff happens in a, right. very, in a very short time span. So uh, in, in the hotel, a whole bunch of different stories come together and a bunch of people are in an elevator that falls. Yeah. Uh, and in airport, it's actually quite quite close to the original airport film, the 1970. Um, though, it, though the film leaves out some of the subplots because frankly there isn't time for them. There are a lot of subplots. And it's not like the, you know, but o- only, just covering that. But o- only one of these is about the plane in trouble. Right. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff happening on the airport as well. Airport 75 is the one with Charlton Heston. So you know what you're in for. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that pretty much tells us everything that. Uh, but basically, there's a mid-air collision. Um, the, the side of the cockpit is smashed open. One, one of the flight crews, uh, sucked out to his death and the other, the other two are, well, one of them's killed, one of them's unconscious. The, yeah, no. the stewardess has to fly the plane. Uh, she, with, with, with a hole in the side of the cockpit going along at 190 knots, she stands there with her coiffure being artfully ruffled by the breeze, talking on the radio. Yeah. Um, wow. but, but, but it's great fun. successful. Let's but, not forget, yeah. you know. The, the, and that, that is a big part of what airplane is about. The, the thing it does that Zero Hour doesn't do, uh, and it's, it's much more the classic aircraft disaster movie. It's got a whole bunch of people with their own individual stories, which are going to get mm-hmm. resolved in some way. Okay. Uh, the high, the high and the mighty also does this. Uh, well, airplane, airplane doesn't, doesn't do it a lot, but it does it more, it, it does it more than Zero Hour does. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, you've got those whole sort of flashbacks with Elaine and um, and Ted, which have a whole load of bits of just daft. I mean, either complete daftness that don't mean anything, that throw away, like the fact that the bar is in Drambui and that his squadron is <laughs> is going to bomb the depot at Dakery. Yeah, <laughs> all these kind of things are thrown at you, and it doesn't matter if you oh notice God, that and think it's just... funny. Fine, and the Saturday night fevers end up in this. Uh, yeah. He spots Elaine, and there's this wonderful bit where he says, "You know, I had to ask the guy next to me to pinch me to check if I was dreaming." And you're looking Just at this rough expression. guy next to him. Who's, you can't tell what um, Robert Hayes' character is saying. But the guy next to him suddenly looks at him and you know that he's just said in completely the wrong way, will you pinch me? And this guy <laughs> <Yes>. sidles away. <laughs> it's got all oh that stuff God. in and all that kind of background bits and pieces. But fundamentally, uh, plot-wise, it's zero hour. Mm. But it's not all the characters in zero hour either. They've, they've 
been cleverer than mm. yeah. I mean, if if you watch a film like uh, Jurassic Park, it's a very and you've read the book. It's a very clear example of they take these characters and smush them together, and they give these lines to him instead of her, and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And they do that here, um, most notably with McCroskey Lloyd Bridges' character and the character of Rex Kramer, because the the controller and um, the the pilot who who knew. Uh, striker during the war sort of thing they don't really work the same in zero hour that they do in uh, airplane the controller who you th- i expected to be a bigger part simply because i'd seen airplane yeah um he's kind of nothing and yeah. the mcclevin character i think sterling hayden plays i think his name's mcclevin um he's it's more about him yeah. now interestingly when you get to robert stack playing um rex kramer rex kramer is a is a Daredevil stuntman out of Kentucky Fried Movie. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. There are loads of bits from Kentucky Fried Movie. I mean, let's just talk about Johnny. The character of Johnny in um, Zero I, Hour I wanted is to just about, there for the coffee. I wanted to talk about... Um, yeah, he, he really feels as if he's in a completely different movie. I mean, where well, yeah, everything, else, get to everything else is doing the playing it straight thing. Well, this is Stephen Stucker. Who Stephen Stucker. A, a huge part of the Kentucky Fried Theatre and, and in the movie. incredibly uh, flamboyant, um, incredibly, uh, uh, well, uh, out and out gay character in Kentucky Fried Theatre and in real life. I mean, very much kind of a. Um, extremely kind of Freddie Mercury type character. Mm. Um, and I, I don't know, for me. Um, I'm going to be frank. Uh, it's difficult because I've now have read Stephen Stucker's life story and what says, happened yeah, to him, and he yeah. died a few days later of AIDS. And he, he it sounded like a phenomenal personality and a wonderful person. Um, but in Airplane, which is what we're talking about, he sticks out to me in yeah. in a way that he feels like the that Zaz indulged him to the detriment of the film because it doesn't. What, because feel he played me... a cross-dressing stenographer in Kentucky Fried Movie <laughs> and they worked. The... Well, well he—he's like... the guy who's acting as if he's in a comedy in the conventional sense. Exactly. He's very zany in a way, like Robin Williams is in a way that mm-hmm. I can tell Robin Williams is a or was a genius. You know, he clearly, you know, he thinks incredibly fast. He's very clever, but That's the, the cocaine for you. But but, <laughs> but well, the, um, the but the route he takes to me, and this may be a British taste thing. I don't know, or maybe just be me. Just is awkward and stilted yeah. and not that funny. Well, in and a I different film, it would be fine. Well, just go back to Zero Hour and look at the character of Johnny there. And I say character because he hasn't got a character at all. He's (laughs) basically there twice for, I think it's just twice, is it? How about some coffee, Johnny? Or Johnny, get me some coffee. And that's basically all we know about Johnny. (laughs) Now, in Airplane, they've taken, I think they've probably done that very deliberately, taken a character who's not a character at all, who's just like, get me some coffee. And made him into this guy who, he's a background character, he's almost a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern thing, yeah. of he's doing his bit, and I hated it when I yeah, first saw it. I agree. Because like yeah. you, it, you know, he, he pulls out the, um, the, the plug, he's taking down all the lights on the runway because he's pulled the cable out of the wall, uh, just kidding. And they go, right, we're heading to the tower, and he comes sort of flouncing yeah. across the screen going, Rapunzel, Rapunzel, the tower! And I thought this was awful. And, Watching it again and again since then, I've Has actually I've actually warmed to him enormously. Yeah. yeah. Partly because I think he's terrific as what he's doing, and yeah. also he's he's that really surreal edge. He's almost mm. a, a breaking the fourth wall kind of thing. 
But the, the bit where he says the fog's getting thicker and then suddenly he leaps into a totally different shot, jiggles this fat guy around the middle and goes, and Leon's getting larger and leaps off again. Yeah. That's got a sort of slightly adjacent comedy. But I agree. But it is jarring. I must say, The Naked Gun, which I'm also a huge fan of, because mm-hmm. it's very good, um, better, doesn't yeah. have anything like Stephen Stucker in it, because, you know, there was only one of them, <laughs> and he was dead by then, unfortunately. Um, and I don't know... Uh, to me, I don't know that it's to its detriment. I don't. I, I, I no. feel, you know, I feel really awful. But I agree with you, and I still haven't entirely... I've got used to it and yes grown to like it and it would feel weird without him in it but i must say it's jarring on on what and it, it, I, when i say it feels indulgent it mm. is no surprise to me that you know they absolutely loved this guy because in real life he must have been incredible um and so they just fed him straight lines and he just bounced back whatever he liked at exactly the, the, now the other thing the is thing. very unusually for the, this date here, here is somebody who is playing a flamboyant gay character and his gayness is not the butt of the jokes. Yes, that's yep. true. Yeah, I mean, when I but it feels it like first, he did the jokes, would... doesn't it? Yeah, it feels like, and I think this is possibly going back to the Kentucky Fried Theatre and movie bit. His piece in it feels to me very much as if he's improvising or has had some improvisation sessions with the writers, and that's been kind of added into the movie yeah. because it feels like. This is the kind I can't do a straight role. This is the kind of role that I do. You know what I'm mm, like. Yeah, yeah. So at least let's have some of my gags, and we'll do that kind of um, stuff yeah. that makes makes him work as an actor. It's not, I mean, if if imagine you've got a typical actor who was used to known for straight roles playing that role in that way, that would have been absolutely bizarre. Mm. But because you've got I mean, a guy who quite really clearly that's sort of him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was just. It, uh, it may be jarring, but it's more understandable, perhaps. Yes, perhaps. Um, uh, yeah, I still don't think it quite well. I think I think Rogers hit the nail on the head there. He, he is the one guy who knows he's in a comedy, and no one else does. But he st- he does actually still get some lines that are in the same format as some of the running format jokes. For the classic one, um, and I think this is one of the reasons, a bit like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, why Airplane completely cemented itself in my head when I was a kid. Because I have a problem where I, I, will, I would take things incredibly literally. Really right. literally. Mm. Yeah. Which I very quickly learned to cover up by giving <laughs> slightly evasively vague answers and, and gestures. Um, or responses, um, which people then wouldn't necessarily think I'd misunderstood, because I knew that I was probably misunderstanding what they were saying. Right. And there is a whole line of humour in Airplane about the response being somebody misunderstanding what you're saying, such as, the cockpit, what is it? Yeah. Well, it's a yeah. room at the front where the pilot sits. You know, that That's used with the hospital, what is it? Um, headquarters, yeah. what is it? Mm. All that kind of thing. He gets the bit where Lloyd Bridges comes across with the the paper in front of him and says, Johnny, what, can you, what do you make of this? And he says, oh, yeah. I can make a hat or a brooch or a pterodactyl. And that's kind of the one g- a joke that actually cements him to the format of the rest of the movie. Mm. Everything else, yeah. he's yeah, off, in off in his own world. His own, um, it's, he's, uh, but for that one moment, he's a let's take some pictures kind of guy. <laughs> mm. um, yeah. Oh, that's, that's um, a tiny little bit of casting you might have noticed. After Airplane, the guy who plays the first reporter, 
who for years I thought just had an annoyingly familiar voice, couldn't place him. Uh, I finally placed him and looked up to check, and he's Johnny the Shoeshine guy from the um, police squad. Mm. Oh, my goodness, yes uh, he William, is. William Duell, I think This has been a night of revelation. <laughs> oh, it's full of me. Uh, here's one. The Jive guys, do you know who the... The hilarious gag of the the one person on the plane who can interpret Jive and talk to them is a little, you know, a little old granny type. Very sweet and, you know, clearly just a sort of well, normal... She was very well known, wasn't she? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was Barbara Billingsley, who was June Cleaver in Leave It to Beaver. Now, in Britain... Really in Britain known, but not exactly um, necessarily a household name. But in America, uh, they were still running it when I lived there. And bear in mind, it's a black and white comedy. Uh, It was always on one channel or another, and it probably still is. I'm sure any Americans can correct me if it's not. But at the very least, if you refer to something as being, oh, it's like Leave Leave It to Beaver... You just know what you're talking about. Yeah, I certainly have. The yeah, idea I, I, that... I was reading Bloom County in the 80s, and that, that was sort of oh, references yeah. to it. Yeah, I love Bloom County. Mm. It, it's, it's full of that kind of stuff. It's, everybody in America would sort of know it as a reference point, and it's as far from black guys on the street talking jive as you can get. <laughs> so the joke works because this strange incongruous person is speaking jive and not just interpreting she she w- eventually has a small argument wanders off still talking in jive but it's actually june cleaver doesn't matter that we don't but notice again, it's june cleaver as we've talked about the joke still works doesn't it yeah. um can i i'd like to we've talked a lot about this and we could i mean we could just oh. get, talk about airplane for much longer i would like to back up um and start to uh, start to land this podcast what uh, what was different about this comedy? I mean, I know we were, um, uh, uh, and I may be <laughs> artificially youthing you. Uh, we, I know we were not quite uh, around before the comedies, for the comedies before this, but there was, to me, there was something different about Airplane that makes it stand out. That, um, okay. Am I, am I wrong about that? Was there it depends. What do you think? And, it feels, I don't know, and that, I guess that's what I'm asking. There is something about Airplane that really stands out amongst filmic comedies and, and kind of marks a watershed. And I'm not... I don't know if it's just the number of jokes per minute, the the almost desperation to make you laugh. I mean, the good thing about Airplane is it's desperate to make you laugh. It will try anything. It will do visual gags. It will do puns. It will do spoofs. It will do anything to make you laugh. And, Often you know, in the same scene. 75% mm. of the time it works, and that's yeah. enough. Because if that one doesn't work, the next road of the dice is coming in 50 And seconds. yet it's controlled enough... It's not sort of completely chaotic and frenetic. It's controlled enough that it gets the humour over to you. Well, I think the reason, to me, I, the reason it's controlled enough is because it hangs all of those jokes on this pretty solid skeleton of zero hour. Yeah, yeah and so, certainly Zaz have said that the reason they took this approach was they'd, they'd done all this short sketch stuff. They knew they had no idea how to structure a long-form plot. So yeah. they said, right, well, let's just take one that we already know works. Yeah, because let's face it, Zero Hour is actually a solid, if somewhat straightforward plot. Did you say workmanlike or something? It it just works on a... a, uh, There's a reason The Meaning of Life is the least of the Monty Python films. It's Mm. because it's sketch-based. And for some reason, as humans, we kind of need a narrative to pull us through. And when it's a... I mean, we've talked about it as a crappy B movie zero, but it also a solid. It's a, you know, I don't think a, it's a, a crappy solid B movie. It's a, it's a solid. It. It, it's yeah. not an Ed Wood film. 
It's no, it's it's <laughs> utterly forgettable. Whereas something like an Ed Wood film is often extremely memorable, just not for the reasons Ed Wood would particularly well, I was want. Well, about this in the context of um, Raging Bull, which Roger okay. and I just watched, and both frankly disliked, and it, it does not have, it does not have a solid narrative. Um, it has. And it doesn't really concentrate on the narrative. It's more of a character study. The shame is it's a character that's fucking horrible. Um, but, um, oh, sorry, that's taken us above PG-13 there. Um, that, that's all right. Already I, did I, that. I've already tagged the thing. Okay. Um, whereas, I, I don't know. I, 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 Raging Bull is not narratively satisfying uh, to me, and I mm-hmm. didn't like the character. And so for Airplane... You know, at the end, when they're landing, there's actually yeah. not that many gags when they do the land. Uh, but that doesn't no. matter, because you're into the, you're into it. You know, you want them yeah, to it, land. It is actually genuinely tense yeah. when they're coming in for that landing. And it is in zero hour, just as it yeah. is in airplane. Well, that, I really the thing I found it, hilarious and rather wonderful about the two is I'm sure they must have deliberately done the special effects of the outside of the plane in airplane to precisely the same technical level as zero hour because they <laughs> they do look equally shoddy oh, I'd say the by the, the standards well airplane. it was yeah perhaps a bit better because you know, jet they even use propeller effects for the jet i hadn't yes. mm-hmm. before but <laughs> yeah um, and they use uh, steam train sound effects when it's taking off and they're doing the whole spoof oh, saying goodbye of... at the uh, station this is getting away from what you were trying to do when she throws when he throws the watch and he goes oh my your watch is amazing like, oh, it doesn't work <laughs> I don't know, it's just one of my favorite the other one of my favorite get aboard son often missed is the um don't you want to turn on the landing lights and he said no that's just what they are expecting. Which Robert Stack has probably had to deliver a line like oh that a hundred times before. Anyway, the trouble with this is there's well, so I, much I, we I can I would keep like going to ju- jump in on the, on the comedy thing as someone yes, who doesn't really do comedy you. all that much. Um, and I'll, a I'll make, guy, right? I'll make a reference to uh, Never Surrender, which is a documentary from a couple of years ago about the making of Galaxy Quest. Oh yeah, I haven't right. seen that. I heard um, about it. And in particular, I've seen um, Elizabeth Cantillon, one of the executive producers, has a, has a, re- a lot of really interesting things to say on that. Uh, one of which was when they were trying to sell this to studios, if they said it's a comedy, all the studio people could think of is you know a comedian will come on and do his bit, yeah, right, okay. and somebody will have a pratfall and that sort of thing. That, that comedy, as far as the studio was concerned, was a very narrow set of things and. Basically, clever comedy was just outside what they could what they could account for. Yeah, and was also you know extremely dubious as to how it would do at the box office. Yeah, and, and th- this is in in a way moronic comedy, but it's yeah, moronic I mean, comedy with no... verve. <laughs> and to be honest, an awful lot of intelligence. Mm. You know, the, it's not slapped together even when it's slapstick. Uh, it's it's really beautifully performed. That punch that Robert Hayes takes, honestly, I could just keep watching that because it's, the timing <laughs> and the sound effects. I mean, we, have, we haven't even gone on the, the, the perfection of Elmer Bernstein's score and uh, the musical stings. Well, that's so because you know. the score doesn't know it's in a comedy either. No, exactly. But it kind of just does enough. Although I will say there's actually one bit in um, uh, Zero Hour where I thought the music and the sort of uh, the editing and the cutting worked amazingly well. It's the bit where they um, suddenly switch and jab the morphine into the captain's arm. Mm. Oh yeah, um, and that I thought, wow, 
you know, suddenly they've got this, um, this brilliant shot and the perfect musical sting. Um, and if they'd done that with the rest of the movie, I would probably have been on the edge of my seat, sweating like Robert Hayes as he's trying to line the plane. <laughs> but to bring go back to your not actual... far off that degree of sweat, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm sure that's what they were doing. But I, to, there is to get a moment to this whole... where the, the, the score becomes, uh, to me, slightly accommodating, uh, which is where the final kiss with the choir, mm. and the choir just reaches such a ridiculous yeah. crescendo. But that's oh clearly a deliberate joke. I know, I loved it. Oh. If you're looking at airplanes, so well, you know, what did it sort of come out of nowhere or whatever? Well, no, it didn't. It particularly came out of the sort of sketch comedy that Saturday Night Live and Kentucky mm. Fried Movie and so on did. I mean, Kentucky Fried Movie, you'd got links to... Um, the casting and everything. They were Leslie Nielsen's in it, incidentally, in a cameo. Yeah, it's, uh, there I were mean, lots, it's, lots of people who were in it that. It is a solid film, but it is. But around it is the same time, that. in 1976, there is another film that shows, I think, a lot about Airplane and why it was not exactly original. We're going to spoof the disaster movie genre, right? And it's not even original, having some sur- surreal and, and bizarre comedy in it. There's a film called The Big Bus. Have either of you yes. seen it? Yes. Oh, the the Big Bus is about a bus called Cyclops. It's a double-decker, I'm articulated in the middle bus. Reason, nuclear powered, obviously. Don't think so. And it's nuclear powered. And it's going to, uh, it, it can break um, the 90 mile an hour wind barrier, which they refer to as breaking wind. They finally get through. She's breaking wind! And uh, it's got a swim pool on the top deck, and it has things like if if a tire blows out, it's got an automatic replacement system. It's got an automatic roller system that washes the bus as it's driving, and they're going to make this this drive. And it spoofs spoofs the disaster movie because there's a guy who doesn't want them to do this, uh, played by Jose Ferreira, in an iron lung for the entire movie, which is just you know fabulous <laughs> and straight there. That's almost a throwback to kind of 1960s either wannabe Bond movies or spoof Bond movies, more than anything. Mm. There are, he's, he's arranged to have bombs put on the bus. But you've got the bus driver that they have there. Oh, you, you have got some quite well-known actors on there as well. Um, Stockard Channing. Uh, uh, yeah, Rene Aubergineau, he's, he's Ned, in it. Ned Beatty. Not necessarily, you know, top flight main people, but, but kind of solid supporting actors. That sort of sounds familiar. The guy they've got driving the bus has got this sort of backstory where he's he's not um he's got confidence issues. His kind of co pilot, who is played by uh John Beck, I think, who was in apart from Dallas, he was in Rollerball. Um and he just Classic every now comedy. every now and again he, he just um he's got a problem where he just sort of drive he, he pulls over to one side and so he tends to drive across and then as he's explaining that he tends to sort of drive across on the hard shoulder all the time, uh, he passes out, because he also does that quite a lot. The driver has got this confidence problem, because supposedly years before, he, he his bus got stuck in, uh, I think it's called Mount Diablo, they were stuck on a pass, and he was accused of eating half the passengers, and he he claims he never ate any passengers, except for a foot that was put in a stew without his knowledge, that it was all his co-driver who ate the passengers. So that's a running gag in it. It's actually maybe. got quite a few similarities mm. to Airplane, okay, okay. but less perhaps because they copied it for Airplane than they're both copying the same thing and so coming, what, coming the same way. Why is that not as successful? Or do you think it's, it's not just as, as funny? Right, okay. it's, it's, not, it's, it's moments, not as good. But... It has its moments, but where airplane would have a moment 
and a moment that didn't work, and another moment, and perhaps three, four moments that didn't work, which, let's face it, is what Monty Python did as well. Yeah. Um, it, it's much more kind of conventionally put together in The Big Boss. It feels more like a studio picture. Right. Rather than Airplane, which feels like the studio almost didn't know quite what was going on. Well, Airplane was mercilessly cut. I mean, they would take it to test screen to the point where they would almost not watch the film, they would cut it to the sound of laughter. So if a gag didn't get a if a gag didn't get a laugh, they would cut it. And well that... they didn't cut all of those, so they obviously didn't notice there were gags. <laughs> well there were a few I mean there's a few that they regretted never got laughs, like the spear hitting the yes. hitting the yeah. wall, the watermelon, the cigarette going out of the window causing an explosion, Lloyd mm-hmm. Bridges putting his fingers in never got laughs, but they always they kept them in anyway. Um but they were the very few um and so I, I this I mean certainly airplane follows Roger's um ninety minute rule of you know seventy eight minutes or something. So does the big bus, to be fair. It just yeah, got a right. lot fewer That's... jokes in that time. Uh, yeah. I mean and I, also it's, a comedy it's a little more labored at times. is even harder to sustain over over a long time. Um But I, a comedy that's also supposed to be extremely tense because it's a disaster movie. Yeah. Well th- um, this is this is another thing. A, a lot of comedies it seems to me will say We've got a joke we want to do, and so here are the characters we've got. How how can we make these characters tell the joke? Whereas I'm I'm more likely to say we've got these characters. What are the funny things that they will naturally do while remaining in character, and then make the comedy out of that? Yes, yeah. Basically, I'm 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 more about the people than about the technicality of the joke. A lot of British sitcoms are kind of character driven, aren't they? Rather than the jokes themselves. But this isn't really. There's not a lot of direct camera character comedy in airplane i i don't think it's it's just basically any gag they can throw at you yeah i mean there are a few lovely moments where something the character says gets reacted to or kind of shot down in a, a terrific way but even they aren't necessarily done um in a conventional manner the timing's different or the way the 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 comeback is delivered is different like when dr rumack and randy uh towards the end of the film uh they've sort of gone kind of you know behind the scenes i forget if they're in the galley or something and she's just she's in tears she's coming apart and saying you know i'm i'm 26 and i'm not even married and he's just trying to sort of calm her down and uh, it's one of the passengers comes back isn't it who's, who's just saying the gym, you know, never, the gym never vomits at home apparently. yeah exactly yeah and um so, you know, how are you holding up and she says well frankly i've never been so scared in my life but at least i have a husband <laughs> It's, oh you know, you, you've sort that... of taken that character moment and had somebody else, not the person she was with, but somebody who's come into the scene mm. just in an offhand way, also, go back to it and yeah. kill it. One of my favourite lines, I don't know why, from the film, you know, the great redemption moment with, with George Zip and he's explaining oh, where, the whole you know, zipper I, joke. you know, at least my, uh, you know, my, my, um, uh, he did the right thing, and it turns out, but it, it just ends up with a. I don't know where I'll be then, duck, but I won't smell too good. That's for sure. <laughs> that whole, you know, win one for the zipper, which is a terrible <laughs> joke that only made sense to Americans. When you know back then, um, the whole when you could the zipper thing. Sounds funny, David. Exactly, but they they put a lot into how they've stretched that out and put it into a pivotal moment. Mm. Because originally, they... all it seems like is it's a throwaway gag when um, it, it, you know he says, uh, or Hayes just says, um, you know, six men died because of my choice, and Elaine just goes, seven. George Zip died this morning. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> George Zip died this morning. Um, yeah. Um, 
Well, I, you know, I'm going to... We can, the problem with Airplane, it's just so endlessly quotable that whenever we think about it, we just want to quote from it. There are so, we haven't even talked about Otto, really. You know, no. the fact that the, the Otto pilot is an inflatable pilot who clearly has a life of his own because not only does he leave with the plane at the end, he, he's groping Elaine. There's a whole blowjob gag. Well, this he's was sitting a there smoking risky. a cigarette. With a, this was considered remarkable. an extreme... I mean, how quaint it seems from 2021. That this was an extremely obscene film. You it know, does consider- It does have a topless shot. Uh, it which does it, have a topless shot. It has a blowjob very, gag. It do, yeah. does, feel, does seem a bit, oh, we don't know what to do in this scene. Oh, let's have a naked woman run past. Uh, yeah, I think, uh, again, uh, yeah. I think that's a Kentucky Fried movie thing. Mm. Because that's the sort of thing they do, and um, the critics at the time said, you know, oh, and they, it's terrible, and they throw in uh, like uh, gratuitous shots of topless women just to titivate the the um, teenage boys watching it, which probably did wonders for getting people to go and watch it. <laughs> and I'm sure it's that kind of thing. The whole. Peter Graves, he's ill, you know, oh, the poor bastard just turned into a, a jelly. We cut to a jelly wobbling, and then it pans over to a woman whose breasts are wobbling in a similar manner, you know. It's just... No, it's not high-minded comedy. It's um, not. But yes, you can take one thing, and the moment you start talking about this film, here we you go. end up talking about all the rest of it. Um, so, I, well, let's go to our question we always ask on this pod- podcast was... Airplane, a masterpiece. Did it? Was it? Did it influence other films that came beyond it? Um, and did we enjoy it? On well, it certainly killed off the disaster film genre for <laughs> until. For some time. I mean, it, it was it was on the way down anyway because Meteor the previous year hadn't been much of a success. We yeah, that was Sean Connery. Was that Sean Connery and Freddie uh, Jones was in that, wasn't he? Maybe. Meteor? It was a while. Usually playing then a bad scientist. A, a, yeah. sort of a, a film stri- with problems, anyway. But but anyway, really, really 20... until Speed, maybe. Well, I would say more like Deep Impact. You know that time when we suddenly had loads of meteorites hitting the planets. Mm. That they they were, and now it's all kind of, since Cloverfield. It's all been kind of the nine eleven experience type disaster movie. It's very or down, the ecological ones. Um, it's funny you should mention Speed, actually, Roger, because I, I, I kept thinking of Speed when I was just uh, reading a refresher on the big bus just to see, make sure I remembered it. I'm thinking, hey, there's a bomb on the bus, just a second, and the brakes have gone, so they can't actually slow down. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it, it did a number on the, the disaster movie thing, because the fact that it's played totally straight... I mean, it's very right. hard you've got, to watch you've got lots of bits that aren't played straight, but in terms of the lines that are being fed back and forth and the reactions to them, it's straight. And, and that's yeah. hard then to have you, a straight line in a disaster movie. Yeah, you couldn't really frame a, uh, which is why they've gone to more this kind of steady cam kind of disaster movie in the later films now, because I think you couldn't frame it as a uh, that kind of melodramatic disaster movie anymore since Airplane. Cause it's, well, it's, it's, the, the other thing is that the shift in the way actors get paid means you can't really do box pictures anymore. You you have to right. have one or two big stars. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, all right, The Towering Inferno has two big stars and a, and a whole bunch of other ones, but that, that just isn't affordable. So, no, probably not. So you really have to sort of t- and that- two or three or maybe four main characters and you can't really go beyond that for the, for the usual run of things. Well, a bit, but maybe if you did nowadays, that would be an event because that's so. Uh, well, yeah, that, yeah. That, that, that's your. You who's going to back it? Sort of thing. 
Well, yeah, I'm just her... a suggestion, Hollywood producers, if you want to give me some money, I'll, I'll sort it out. <laughs> I don't think they just throw money at people for suggestions that they've probably already heard, but, you know, Damn it. it's worth I'll the tweet them, I'll tweet them now. But... <laughs> That'll do it. That always has... <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, make a, a, make a TikTok film. I would also say, I mean, as far as influencers go, it uh, so that was a kind of a negative influence. It induced induced uh, there was this a pregnancy um it, it produced a lot of um spoofs many of which were bad i mean we're in mm-hmm. the era of scary movie and things we had the naked gun that wasn't so much an influence as as kind of a sequel we had airplane two but... yeah well I... we'd had we'd had police squad the six which was a six part mm. um well, that series was after they said wasn't it it was after Airplane, it's before The Naked Gun. Basically, they recycle a lot of it. Um, it got cancelled after one series, and they said uh, we were kind of glad because we didn't know how we could come up with any more jokes. <laughs> and sure well, enough, they, they put the about... same jokes you know, oh. in uh, the Police Squad. But Police Squad was, was huge. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I, um, oh god, yeah, I, I mean, the, the Naked Gun made three movies. Um, they were yeah. all pretty good. The last one well, they got, good. Yeah, they've got enough jokes in that I, I don't, I think if somebody said, you know, Cake or Death, where where um, it was watch a Naked Gun movie or Death. Uh, yeah, I'd watch a Naked Gun movie, no problem. Well, high praise indeed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> also Top Secret, which Top Secret yeah. has, know, has its moments but doesn't hang together, I would Val say. Val Kilmer just doesn't quite do it for me in the same way that Robert Hayes does. Um, I was trying to think of a good spoof... Sorry, that was awkward. Um, I was trying to think of a good spoof synth. The only one I could really come up with was the original Austin Powers. Is a similar film that it will just throw gag after gag and really get its genre and kind of lovingly spoof it. The the sequel yeah. to that didn't, but I think no, and it's it's Austin spoofing. Powers... It's kind of spoofing a genre as well as sort of specific things. Yes, yeah. Um, it's not exactly a James Bond spoof because really it's got much more in common with a number of other films that came <laughs> out around the whole James Bond phenomena. That's right, um, yeah. Some of which were themselves spoofs, or at least were sort of marketed that way. <laughs> it's hard to know whether they were intended <laughs> at the some, time. You know, but I, certainly I, in like Flint, no, I don't think anyone was taking that seriously at the oh time. Oh my god, I yeah. loved that film when I was a or, kid. Or he could Matt stop Helm his heart with his brain. That was amazing. And his, his little watch with the rocker along. Oh my god, I loved it. <laughs> Um, anyway, the, the, uh, the other one that strikes me since we were talking about Kentucky Fred movie was Amazon Women on the Moon, which is a few years mm-hmm. later and doesn't involve any of these people, but it's it's the same basic idea of let's let's put a bunch of sketches together. Was also, uh, was John Landis kind of a... to do with that? I think um, he was. Well, yeah, because I, lots of people were, were somewhat. To do because with. I think John Landis is is a connection that isn't really noticed much because he's not directly involved. Yeah, I mean, in he, he's, he's one of the five directors on Amazon Women. I'm forever upset with Amazon Women on the Moon because it has led Nick, to my... Nick, you need a by, hobby, man. By far my most persistent earworm ever, which every few days I will just hear in my head, blame it on the bus and over with its magic spell, which is like 15 seconds in the Amazon Women on the Moon. Mm. I don't, I've never heard that song in any other context. This but is amazing. I just... It has it's, it's led me to, you know, you know, well, that murder trial, um, you know, all that. So stuff. all I would have to do to get you really upset at some point is just to sort of, God just within your hearing. Damn it! Fabulous. I'm going to put that as my ringtone. Well, okay. It, so <laughs> it clearly had an influence. I mean, yeah, did. and it had a lasting influence. It didn't just influence things after it. I mean, if you're the uh, Wisconsin Travel Bureau or whatever they are, how how 30-odd years later... 
do you make a whole series of travel commercials and get Robert Hayes and Kareem <laughs> Abdul-Jabbar to, to play basically the same characters, but in a, a slightly funny setup of, um, hey, why not come on holiday to Wisconsin? They expect people to recognise that, and again, 30-odd years care. later, yeah. and get that joke while still uh, then accepting the whole, it's actually a <laughs> travel ad. I mean, that mm. is... Uh... That is a good measure of the influence. You know, you could say, surely you can't be serious. Yes. Uh, or, do you like gladiator movies? And, uh, you know, uh, maybe we we are a bit older, maybe. <laughs> but I think uh, even a lot of the younger generation would at least understand the reference. Um, you nowadays. should definitely go and try the gladiator movies line on some of the younger generations. And the let Grimm me know what the reaction is like. <laughs> 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 uh, but, it, uh, yeah, I, I think, and we've talked about this before, you know, if you can just say a line out of a film and everyone gets it, that's yeah. a pretty strong influence. And that's... Mm-hmm. That's, that's it's a, kind that's of um, that sort of format of a joke that um, one person is still giving a straight response, but it's the wrong straight response. <laughs> exactly. You know, he didn't call him Shirley, but he keeps coming back. They, they use the joke twice. You know, stop calling jokes. him Shirley. I mean, they are bad dad jokes, <sighs> but come on. Yeah, but it, yeah. It, it's also the basic thing of here is a setup, here is the obvious thing A that would happen after the setup, and so mm-hmm. we're going to do thing B instead, and then then you jump back and think, oh yes, that can make sense. Yeah, yeah dissecting yeah. humor, I know everybody knows that one, but oh, it is. Yes, but <laughs> you know, if it's it's not something that you particularly get as a really notable feature of many other films. Certainly, mm-hmm. any before Airplane, I don't think anybody would say that was a recognizable joke format that they associate with. X. Yeah. I, I mean, I think for me with Airplane, it's um, maybe there are films that would have done that joke, but they wouldn't have done all the other jokes that Airplane did. You know, there's the there's the mirror joke where he just steps through the mirror. There's just every possible category of jokes from from puns to visual gags to physical comedy. They just hit everything, and I feel a lot of um, maybe well, I guess we talked about this. A character comedy is maybe the one missing from there but airplane hits everyone and usually hits at least one pretty good one from there from each category um i i I think to me that's why even then it probably wouldn't be successful if it didn't have a, a a backbone of drama to it either which might be why naked gun is less successful Maybe, though I do love Naked Gun. It just I think it works. It works in Airplane's favour that, um, and probably it works against Zero Hour, that Zero Hour is such a straightforward plot. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's tense, it's got moments of tension, and it's got moments that are just frankly <laughs> hilarious, but they shouldn't be. But in, in something like Airplane, which is loading every line and every, you know, you've got Robert Hayes, you know, he's flying desperately trying to keep this plane together and there's a vulture just appears sitting on his shoulder. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's lines... Uh, stuff the, like that. The, you've I think got the, distractions, but you stick with the plot and still get that whole plot thing. You're not going, the, the wait a minute, who's this guy? The that they... You could all... It's almost a Plan 9 from Outer Space Zero Hour in that it's almost funny enough just by itself. I was... You know, the line I opened the podcast with, you know, but they didn't have fish for dinner. I thought that was written for Airplane. That is verbatim from Zero Hour. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just is... Um, Oh, airplane! What more do we need to say? Um, do, is it a masterpiece, chaps? How do we feel about that? By our own personal <laughs> definitions, 
is yeah. it a masterpiece? It, it's been called one of the. Uh, I think it's been voted now like one of the hundred funniest things mm. by critics and all the rest of, of all time. Um, people put it in the top ten movies. I I certainly think it's um, it's one of the greatest film comedies. I wouldn't say it was the greatest, um, but I I you know I put it. I put it in the same um, small basket of funny movies that, that really stand out as some of Keaton's best, and um, you know certainly Woody Allen when he was funny, um, and well we could still say that we liked something Woody Allen did, you know, but um, <laughs> Sleeper, for example, and oh, it's much sure. much more rewatchable. Than mm. most other very funny films. Yes. You know, I can watch well, this after a shorter period. There are plenty of films you have to kind of let yourself forget before you can go back and really enjoy them again. Well, this is one of the things I've said a lot on this podcast is one of my definitions of a personal masterpiece is a film that I could get to the end of, skip to the beginning and watch it again. Mm-hmm. And there's not many. Jaws is one of them. Goodfellas for me. Airplane fits in there. For right. me, oh, the man who would be king. Um, I, Quite a few, actually. Uh, <laughs> now I think about it, um, most people like a good laugh more than I do, except my wife um, and a few of her friends. Um, uh, um, yeah, I'd, so airplane, I could watch again now. You know, talking about it, I want to watch those things again, um, and I've watched it twice this week already. <laughs> um, <laughs> once with commentary, to be fair. Um, okay. For me, yeah, as comedy goes. It's a masterpiece. I, I, I think it's just you could not fit more gags in. And I say gags I kind of specific because they are. It really is a gag film. It's a film with just trying to uh, laugh, uh, laugh, uh, laugh. And it does not, it's not ashamed of that. No, uh, well, it's the funny thing is that when you really come down to it, it's got a lot in common with the Kentucky Fried movie and a movie that's, you know, rapid fire sketch comedy and spoofs yeah. and parodies. But, that, the but genius it's not was to wrap just it that. Around a plot that you cared about. And yeah, and to map it to map it very carefully in a way, to make the characters fit and to make the comedy either fit the character or deliberately not fit the character. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's funny if somebody does something totally out of character as long as the thing they're doing is, is kind of funny. It's if somebody's doing the, something that seems totally out of place, we get back to that, you know, Johnny in the control tower moment. Yeah, yeah. Where he's a very, very divisive person because well, Half of you's thinking, I kind of like the guy and he's funny, and half of you's thinking, I'd love to watch him in a different film, not this one. Yeah, mm. yeah, it's interesting because you, I don't know, you could almost you would think of Airplane as zany, but to me, it really zany to me is not funny. Zany, no, I th- is... zany I think is is um, this is going again off your pointing, but um, zany is sort of where a lot of the the airplane wannabes. Yeah. Go too far. Yes, yes. They think that zany does it all. You know? yeah. So you make it sort of hyper, you make it fast, you throw in a load of gags, it's going to work. But some of the gags do actually need to be good ones. Well, even if, even if a yeah. number of the gags are good ones, and in a lot of the sequels they're not. Sorry, not just sequels, but films influenced by it and so on. Airplane is put together with more care than is obviously apparent. Yeah. That's and true. calling it scattershot or machine gun approach to comedy, while it's kind of true, um, they are taking aim at specific things as they go along. Mm. They really aren't just throwing it at the wall and seeing what sticks. I'm sure there were moments of that. But you can tell right, once you actually closely compare it to Zero Hour that it wasn't just lazy writing and it wasn't just let's squeeze you know Kentucky Fried movie style stuff in every scene. 
it's put together really well. It works on a couple of different levels. And I think that's what may elevate it towards being a masterpiece. The fact that it, it has a craftsmanship to it that it almost doesn't deserve. This, this, this kind <laughs> <Yeah>. of film... <laughs> I agree. Absolutely. Well, I mean, at this stage we would normally go through the uh, the top ten of 1980. We did that last time with Raging mm-hmm. Bull. So... I think yeah, these sci-fi are... things, you know, got got no legs to them. <laughs> Who's going to be looking at Star Wars in twenty years' time? I mean, <sighs> Flash not in the me. Pan. I can tell you that. Well, yeah, sadly, sadly, I did, and look where that got me. Um, well, there we go. I think we may be about to land this podcast, and really, it only remains for me to say to you both: I just want to tell you both, good luck. We're all counting on you. So you can just. Drop your flaps and away we go.